This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Froze and I'm joined by James Heal and Katie Balls. Last night there was the illegal migration bill and the government won the bill with a 62 vote majority and in fact no Tory MPs voted against the bill. Now Katie, that's quite significant that no Tory MPs voted against. What happened last night? Yes, this is a second reading, so we still have various stages still to come. But I think if you watched the debate yesterday, you had some being quite critical. So Theresa May, very critical of the bill. And I don't think that's very surprising. If you think about Theresa May's legacy, one of the things she likes to point to, given there isn't much to say on... You know, Brexit because of how it all turns out is modern slavery and that's something that she has spoken a lot about since leaving government and as we have seen thanks to helpful government graphics Rishi Sunak's illegal migration bill is ultimately making it much harder uh, to claim modern slavery you know there are banners going around saying if you come here illegally you cannot make any claims under the modern slavery bill so so she was very hostile to it and also raised concerns about workability then you had caroline noakes who had earlier in the day said that she opposed the bill um ultimately she's someone who thinks it's she said she was horrified by it and then you had Chris Skidmore who also took issues and this was more on the legality so whether it breaches international law so it gives you a little bit of sense of the the different problems people have with the bill within the Tory party but as one Tory MP said to me these figures aren't exactly weather veins when it comes to mainstream Tory opinion there were some others such as you know Bob Neill who raised some concerns or things they would like to change in it but they chose to vote for it regardless so I think you have two camps there so those who really do object to it and he's saying that publicly and those who would like some changes in the later stages and the fact that even those who want to go in the media and say how much they don't like it didn't vote for it and um, so it didn't vote against it does show you that I think a the weaponry operation is working um, but two there is a sense uh, that they know this is going to go through anyway, so why make a big problem for the government? When it comes to, I suppose, the general sense, I think it's always been the case, and you might not get this from obviously some of the criticism I think it's to the Gary Lineker, right? The biggest problem Rishi Sunak has on this bill, in terms of his own party and perhaps some of his own base, is not that it is too soft is that it does not go far enough. And that's when we get to the committee stage, which is the next stage, and that's when we have amendments. More than, I think, people like Caroline Noakes saying what they don't like about it, will there be an amendment on leaving the ECHR or trying to strengthen it on this? We saw when it was first unveiled in the chamber that this is where quite a few MPs on the right said, well, why aren't we doing this? Or at the very least, can we have a promise that if this doesn't work, this is the next step? So that's where you have the higher number of Tory MPs. So I think you're going to see an effort to try and stop that from happening, or at the very least, um, really reduce the number who get behind it. So what happens next with this bill, James? It's past its second reading. What goes on next? So the bill will spend two days in the Committee of the Whole House before having its third reading, uh, and then it's going to be sent up to the House of Lords. So typically the bills that go to the Committee of the Whole House don't normally have a report stage. And I think this has attracted some comment today because of the lack of scrutiny that's going to go on. Um, you know, tradi- Traditionally, a bill of this measure would have you know several weeks of consideration. Actually, it's going to have about a matter of sort of hours, 12 hours, I believe, uh, is about normal expectation. And I think that shows how scrutiny of this kind of legislation has shifted 
in recent years. Uh, the Institute for Government has got a very good blog post out today talking about this. And actually, in the context of post-Brexit, post-pandemic, our we are much more used to emergency legislation. We're much more used to reacting in a tight time period, so Article 16, and then obviously the COVID, COVID emergency measures. And they make a great point as well, which is that one third of the part of MPs have entered since 2017. There's a lack of kind of normal legislative scrutiny. What, of course, all this means is that actually members of the House of Lords could be feel more empowered to have a fight and picket in the Commons when they have ping pong and send it back and forth. Um, because they're saying they're going to say, hang on a sec, we've been in this for decades, this is not how these things are normally done. And you look at other, you know, big bills in the past, like the Criminal Justice and Immigration Act, that had 24 committees sittings. Uh, this is not going to have anything near that. Um, and I think it's, I think Katie makes a great point, which is about you know, the pressure I think is coming from the right. I just make a broad point. I think that, you know, as political journalists, we often go on Twitter and we see people coming out against this and criticising it. And yet you've got a majority still in Parliament of, I think, 69 on paper and 62 Tory, a majority of 62. And so I think there's a danger that although you can look at the polls and although you can look at the noise and you could say, oh, the Tories will lose next election. For now, you have still got a majority, a very decent, healthy majority. Ultimately, the reason the government are going at breakneck speed, and yes, people accuse of lack of scrutiny, is there's just not that much time to the next election. This is potentially going to get stuck in the courts, legal challenge. Rishi Sunak's claimed he's going to stop the boats. So I think there is just a sense of urgency, which is, is this going to have any plan of working? Because the bill is the framework and then you have to make it operational. You need every day you can get. And Katie, looking ahead to the budget tomorrow, what are the key themes we should be looking out for? So I think the general sense from those around the budget is don't get too excited because you'll be disappointed. (laughs) Um, Obviously, caveat, there could be a stunning rabbit about to leave a hat. Um, But I I think generally this is a steady as she goes um, budget that we're heading towards. And it is still, you know, close enough, I think, in the minds of many in government to the not so many budget that the idea that this is going to be a big giveaway or something that's going to particularly please Tory MPs is, is just not it's not where things are you have a situation by which you think about the autumn statement pretty much an emergency fiscal event in terms of the circumstances just after Rishi Sunak came in lots of uh, pretty horrible medicine for the party and the country but this I don't think is going to be on the same level as that but it's not going to suddenly be you know 180 you know here are your tax cuts and and I think there's been a lot of an attempt to really lower expectations ahead of it so Obviously, we've seen various businesses, former chancellors, George Osborne, talking about how Rishi Sunak Sunak and Jeremy Hunt should halt the corporation tax rise that's planned. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the thing to look for instead is if you have, you know, the super deduction that's expiring. So what can they do to, and I think Jeremy Hunt has alluded to this when he talks about, you know, think about the overall taxation rate for, for businesses so what can you do to attract uh, you know businesses what allowances can you throw in which while keeping ahead with the corporation tax rise so I think that's how they will try to soften it or try to say you know Britain is still a lucrative place to invest and we'll see how far they go and then the other big thing they want to do is obviously the out of work and we've seen various things we know Jeremy Hunt really does not want people on the golf course unless they are working on the golf course and uh, therefore you know things to incentivize those to not retire early so we'll see some things around pensions um that will also be a theme of it and i and i think when it comes to i mean we've already had one of the big aspects of the budget which is the defense spending um you know five billion boost um i think that would be one of the biggest spending areas probably uh, when it comes to i think tory concerns over this budget is defense 
tax cuts and childcare. I think on tax cuts, probably be quite disappointed. On defence spending, it's not as much as everyone wanted. Childcare, again, things have been trailed, so there will be some help there. But I think it's one to ultimately say, we're on a journey, <laughs> let's keep going, and things will hopefully get better you know, in the future. Yeah, you look at it in Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak since they came into office, it's all been about continuity, stability. I, I struggle to think of a time when we've had two men occupying number 10 and 11 who both were just so instinctively sympathetic uh, to the Treasury mindset, as it were, um, both obviously having served the role. Remember at the time there was uh, you know, a lot of talk about potential rebellions, etc. That came to nothing. So I think people weren't happy with the autumn station, but they didn't have a, a cause, a single measure to rail against. I think that's really important because obviously accompanying this budget will be the finance bill when it's going through Parliament. And, uh, you know, in recent years we've seen... MPs being much more willing to use the idea of a finance bill, which um, which is obviously seen as a vote of confidence in the government, but trying to actually cause some trouble on that. So I think that'll be the key thing, occupying the party managers when it goes through. I'm not expecting, I think, much. I think it's very much the the flip, the reverse of mini, the mini budget sort of seven months ago when there were all these very bullshit briefings around it, you know, sort of lots of vim and vigour. This is very much setting low expectations, but they want to under-promise and over-deliver. And that's basically the mantra of this whole government. And James, there is an unfortunate date clash that you've been posting about on Twitter today with uh, the budget. What does it coincide with? <laughs> yes, well, crucially, it coincides with the Cheltenham uh, Racing Festival, day two of that, and found some fantastic footage from the archive of Tory MPs angrily demanding the resignation of Gordon Brown in 2004 for such an unfortunate mix-up. And uh, clearly, I think Mr Hunt is uh, embracing more of his roundhead side than his cavalier side because he's uh, he's signalled that uh, he's also not going to be drinking at the budget. Uh, the last chance to do that was Ken Clark in 1996. So I think hard medicine and, uh, and an alcohol tax rise will be what we're expecting tomorrow, rather than Vim Fantastic. Well, stay tuned because there will be a budget special and we'll be covering a lot of the budget on uh, Coffee House Shots tomorrow. Thank you, James. Thank you, Katie. And thanks for listening. <laughs>